Good morning. Welcome to Browncroft. And if you are a first-time guest here with us this morning, I just want to say a special uh, welcome to you and a big shout out to everybody in the gym right now, especially to you guys. Hey, there's something fun that I just thought of for all you guys in the gym. Here's something cool you might want to try later. In inevitably, somebody is going to ask you, hey, uh, what did you do this morning? You can tell them, well, I went to church and I went to the gym. And you're, and, you're, and you're totally being truthful to the whole thing. So you can totally tell them that. Use that one on me. It's totally free. Enjoy that, okay? All you people here in the tent, has anybody seen The Greatest Showman? That, yeah, yeah. For some reason, when I'm here in this tent, I feel like putting on a top hat and singing some show tunes, okay? So... If for whatever reason I bust out in show tunes in the middle of my message today, you'll know why that is happening, why that is happening. We're in the middle of a series called Limitless, and last week, Sherwin did a great job of leading this whole thing off. If you weren't here last week, I would highly recommend that you go to browncroft.org uh, and, and watch that message by Sherwin. Probably not right now, I would recommend, but at some point, that would be nice. Sherwin did a great job. Basically, what I'm doing is just picking up where he left off and doing my best to carry on uh, what he has already done such a great job of setting up. So, uh, we're talking about this concept of limitless. Last week, Sherwin talked about limitless purpose. This week, I'm talking about limitless faith. Limitless faith. Now, those are two loaded words, so before I go on with the rest of my talk, I'm going to unpack what we mean by that, okay? Limitless, what I'm not talking about is the limitless nature of human potential, okay? I got, I got kids in elementary school and in junior high, and one of the first things that, that they learn really early on in school is this phrase, uh, you can be anything that... Oh, isn't that a nice phrase? You can be anything you want to be, except for you can't, okay? That's just, I'm shattering the lives of many children right now. Some adults, actually. I'm just shattering lives. Uh, but, but it's actually true. None of us were designed to be anything we wanted to be. I'll tell you one of the times I learned this first in my life, okay? I was eighth grade playing basketball. I was in eighth grade playing basketball, all right? As on the teams, Merci mercifully, the coaches let me into a game. And uh, I was actually got a technical foul. I, I was fouled in a technical foul kind of way. I don't know how you exactly say that. Uh, that's how, that shows you the level I'm at in my basketball knowledge. So, so there were two fouls for the technical foul and two fouls for the actual foul. And so the coaches gave me the opportunity they're like, let's throw this Amayo kid a bone and let him get a point. Uh, all four foul shots, okay? So imagine the, the, the hoop is there. Here's my little eighth grade self with hair. And, um, and there I am. First shot, hits the rim, bounces off left. Second shot, hits the rim, bounces off right. Uh, third shot, hits the backboard, comes straight back at me, okay? Fourth shot, though, boom, nothing but net. All right, nothing but net. It didn't go through the hoop. It just hit nothing but the net. <laughs> and, 
it was in that moment that I kind of internalized, maybe they've been feeding me lies all these years. Maybe, maybe this you can be anything you want to be thing is, is a bunch of it. I don't know. Anyway, I had, I had like, I, I realized that then, right? But it's amazing how far that carries with you in life. Actually, still, I struggle with that concept that I can't be everything that I want to be. Um, I've had the blessing of being involved in leadership in various capacities. One of the things I struggle with the most is looking at other gifted leaders around me and going, man, holy cow, look at how gifted they are in that, right? Look at how organizationally gifted they are. Oh, if I could just be like that, that would be perfect. Oh, man, look at how analytical they are about things. If I had that kind of analytical mind, think about how, how much I could get done. Wow, they're such a charismatic leader. Oh, my goodness, if I were just like them, right? And the list goes on and on and on. And it's so easy for me to compare myself to others rather than embracing my own limits. But embracing our limits is one of the first things that we need to identify in life. As a matter of fact, uh, the desire to go against our limits is one of the most ancient temptations that we face as human beings. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve in this perfect scenario walking with God. The, the temptation that they have that Satan sets before them is, does God really not want you to eat out of that tree? You know the reason why he doesn't want you to eat out of that tree? It's because he knows he's, you're going to become like him. You're going to become limitless like God is, and he doesn't want what's best for you. And we fall for that trap. We fell for it in the beginning, and many of us still fall for it today. Um, and I fall for it today in my life over and over again uh, in my existence sometimes. This concept of faith pairs really well with this because we need faith to embrace that. And faith is essentially trust. It, trust is, that, that's what we mean when we talk about faith, it's trust. I used to think the, have ideas about what the opposite of faith is. Like if I were to ask you guys, what's the opposite of faith right now, what would you say? What are some, fear, fear's a good one. Yeah, what else? Distrust, Distrust? yeah. Yeah, those are all good. My, my, my thoughts growing up were always the opposite of faith is doubt. Okay, that's what I used to think. But in actuality, what I've come to learn is that sometimes doubt is actually a necessary part in the process to lead us to a deeper faith. And I think the opposite of faith is pride. The opposite of faith is pride because faith takes trust and pride says, I can do it on my own. And in our society, we're not really good at admitting that we need help, that we can't do it on our own. But here's the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is beautiful because it tells us that we aren't defined by our weakness. We, that doesn't define us. We aren't defined by our, our weakest moments. We're defined by a relationship with God. That is the ability that we have through Jesus. And here is, here is my point for the morning that I'm talking through. Everything's kind of centered around this one point, and it's this. Your weakness might be your biggest opportunity to experience God's power and goodness. All right, let me, let me read that one more time to let it sink into our souls a little bit, okay? Your weakness might be your biggest opportunity 
to experience God's power and goodness. What do I mean by that? Let's unpack it a little bit, and let's look at a passage in the Bible that kind of brings some of these truths to life for us. It's a passage in which a guy who has a lot of authority, who has a lot of influence, who has a lot of power, ultimately comes to the point in which he realizes all that authority, all that power can't get me what I need in this situation. And rather than depend on himself, he he turns to Jesus and trusts Jesus. In the meantime, what that actually does is, and this can't be said a lot in the Bible, you don't see this a lot, Jesus' mind is actually blown by this guy's faith. He's astounded by his faith. Let's look at it together. Luke 7, 1 through 10. Luke 7, 1 through 10. If you have your Bible, you can read that. If you have a version app on your phone, you can read it that way. Otherwise, we'll read it right up here together. When Jesus had finished saying all of this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to bring him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed." For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you the truth, not, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So here's a situation in which this centurion is a person of authority. He's a person who has a ton of influence. You don't get to be a centurion because you're a pushover. He's in charge of 50 to 100 fighting troops in Rome. That's not a little thing. And to to reach this level, you had to be kind of a man's man to hit the level of centurion. And here is this guy grappling with the fact that his servant is sick and he can't do anything about it. There's absolutely nothing in his power to do. But he hears of the power of Jesus and he says, well, there's someone I can turn to. So there's two things that I want to pull out of this passage together just to examine closely. What is it about this man's faith that astonished Jesus? First of all is this. And it's kind of what I just alluded to, that he believed in the power of Jesus. He believed in the power of Jesus. He believed that in verse 8, he says, I tell my servants, do this, and they do it. I say, go there, they go. They come, come here, they come. I do whatever I say to my servants, and they do it. Jesus, you obviously have power. You just say the words, and it'll be done. That's faith believing in the power of Jesus. What's, what's remarkable is that the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they had nowhere near 
that kind of faith in Jesus. As a matter of fact, what they did to Jesus was the opposite. They said, Jesus, oh, really? You, you think you're something. Why don't you prove it? Do some more miracles. Maybe then we'll believe you. What the centurion did is he said, I believe in you. I know you can do it. The religious people in the day flip that opposite. And it's so easy, isn't it, for us to get that opposite way in our minds, in my mind, for me to say to Jesus, Jesus, I'll believe in you if you do this, this, and this. Then I'll know that you're as powerful, rather than operating out of the assumption, Jesus, you are powerful. But certainly, we all know from experience, as I'm sure this centurion knew, from experience, that power in and of itself isn't a reason to trust somebody and have faith in somebody, right? We all know people who have power who are not people you want to put your trust in. Uh, all you need to do is scroll through your Facebook feed, right, and look at stories, or go turn on the evening news and look at stories from our world to know that not everybody with power uses that power for noble purposes, right? And here is the part that I think I so often overlook in this passage, but that this centurion had to know about Jesus in order to fully grasp the concept of, can I put faith in this man? And it's this, he had to know that Jesus was good. The centurion believed, yes, that he was powerful, but also that he was good. And I think this is one of those cases of it takes one to know one kind of situation. This centurion was a guy who displayed these characteristics already. He's almost, if you read it, it's kind of humorous because he's almost like a snapshot of Jesus in this passage. He's powerful, not nearly as powerful as Jesus, and he's good, not nearly as good as Jesus, but he's, he's both. For the fact of a, a Roman occupying force, right, this is an occupying force for the people of that city to go to Jesus and beg him to help this man, how in the world does that happen? We, you, you look at the passage and our minds should be a little blown by the fact that these people are coming and begging Jesus to heal this man's servant. The reason why is because he went above and beyond what he had to do for the people around him. The, the custom in the day in Rome was to allow religious practices to take place. So you would, you, they would go conquer a land, and they would allow them to practice their re, whatever religion they wanted. But this centurion went above and beyond. He built them a synagogue. And so he, these people are pleading with Jesus, help this man. And, and I think this man knew in Jesus, not only is he powerful enough to heal, Jesus is the kind of person who would want to heal. In the middle of my deepest doubt, isn't that one of those two things that I'm struggling with? Generally speaking, I'm in my life struggling with one of two things. Either Jesus isn't powerful enough to deal with this situation right now, or Jesus doesn't want to deal with this situation right now. He isn't good enough to want to. And I could give stories, uh, you know, of this from my own life or or examples or anecdotes, but what I really find helpful is to hear from people in this church, because as I have been a part of Browncroft, 
I've seen this played out in people's lives across our community. I'm so proud to be a part of a church where people are living this out. It isn't just something we talk about. I know people who are living this out as well. So I'm going to invite up one of my friends. Jeff Roeders um, is going to come on up here. And Jeff and his wife, Amy, are great friends. Hey, how are you, man? Great. Good. We go to the same barber. It's nice. Uh, I would advise you, if you want to go to him, uh, yeah, come with certain expectations. Uh, no, but Jeff and his uh, wife, Amy, are dear friends of ours. Some of you last week on the video, you saw a little bit of their story. They struggled with uh, infertility for five long years in their marriage. Mm -hmm. And um, once again, if you haven't seen that, I'd, I'd highly recommend you go back to, to, to seeing that. But thanks, Jeff, for, for joining us, man. And um, I love you as a friend and as someone who I've seen uh, really God work through your life. Thank you. So, um, you know, in the context of this, I imagine you, you said last week, you kind of hinted at the fact that it was five years that you went through infertility in your marriage. I imagine there were some probably pretty deep moments during that season where you doubted. Um, you know, I just talked about doubt not being the opposite of faith. It, uh, what's your experience with, with yeah, that? Yeah, I think um, many of you know my wife and I and, and know Amy. She's just this natural, you know, mother. And, and I think from the time she was two, like John saying, what do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, Amy said, I want to be a mother. And that, that's probably more realistic goal than being NBA basketball player probably. for you yeah probably. but um yeah you know it's one of those things that just filled her heart you know she she i want to be a mom that's what i'm going to be and uh we tried naturally for a couple of years and, and uh obviously nothing was happening and so we went to the doctor and and to have a doctor look at you and your wife in the eyes and say what you want is not going to happen naturally or the way that you'd expect it to happen was really was really tough and so we entered into the, in, uh, the fertility treatment process of doing IUIs, and I won't get into the details of all that stuff, and then eventually moving into uh, in vitro fertilization. And so it was, uh, it, it was a humbling process, uh, but we eventually got to the point where we had uh, 13 embryos, and the way that our doctors handled it was implanting them in two or three at a time, starting with the very best ones, right? Yeah. And uh, so they started doing that, and, and we got down to a couple of the, the last ones and basically ran out of money, and, and um, we were hoping for a really, you know, hopeful, positive answer. And I remember getting the phone call from our doctor and the doctor saying, you know, it didn't happen this time. And you start trying to reconcile the goodness of God um, with not getting the answers that you're expecting. And I We've all had those honest moments where you can, you know, you, you go to your spouse and you ask an honest question and you, and you hope for an honest answer, but you're not sure if you're really ready for that honest answer. And um, so after getting that no, you know, I got home from work and you know, I knew Amy was going to be uh, a mess and I, you, know, you sort of get into it a little bit and I said, uh, would you have married me if you knew I couldn't give you what, what you always desired for? And, uh, and she said no, you know. And again, it's rec reconciling that doubt with the goodness of God. Um, and I knew that she wasn't saying she didn't love me now, but in retrospect, you look back and there's probably a lot of things you maybe would have done differently. And this desire to have a family 
was greater than the situation that we were in. Mm. And so, yeah, I, it sent me to a, into a tailspin. And there were times in that moment where I thought, if I'm not here, if I wasn't alive anymore, then Amy could seek to fulfill this desire in other ways. And so Satan gets a foothold, you know? Yeah. So there was some serious doubt. Wow. Wow, man. Thanks for the vulnerability that it takes to share that kind of story, man. I mean, that's, that's the, the depth of, of despair is kind of that level. Um, obviously, from last week, you know, we kind of see the, a little fast forward to the fact that you guys had a happy ending. Not everybody does have that, that happy ending, but you guys were able to have a child, um, Isley, which is, she's so cute, so amazing. Um, tell me about that process in terms of your, the, the joy you experienced from that. Like, how did that, how did that yeah. happen? So you go from the lowest of lows to, like, joy. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, you guys can look at this and see, you know, obviously we got the outcome that we desired. And, uh, and of course, joy is going to come with that. But... I firmly believe that we encountered true joy even before we uh, had Isley. And I'm a firm believer now that joy often follows obedience. And you can be obedient out of duty or delight. And I think that being obedient out of delight is, is much easier. Um, you know, things are going well and you can delight in the Lord. But being uh, dutiful in our obedience is where God really honors that. And, you know, I... You know, seeing Isley, it's, it's, it's another level of joy. Um, and I didn't share this verse in the first service, but First Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. And I know that that joy doesn't necessarily come from getting what we want when we want it, mm. but in glorifying God in each step of the way. And it's a, it's a process. What an example, what an example that you could look at that verse and you can quote that verse and you can say, man, this is, this is true. Like, this is true. Um, so you guys experienced that and then, and then you're on a different path all of a sudden. You say, well, we aren't going to go through that again, right? Yep. Um, with another, with trying this again. So we're going to adopt and our second wave is adoption. Sure. Um, and that started off good? Yeah. Yeah, so we, you know, during the, the infertility process, Amy was jumping right into adoption next. And, and her heart was pure and good. And it, it's exactly what she was feeling called to. It took me a little bit longer to get to that point because I never wanted to look at our adopted child and say, hey, you were, you were our second option. I wanted it to be something that God placed in my heart. And, and through that process, um, one of our number one prayers in adoption was, and they're super cute, aren't they? <laughs> um, was that God would uh, give us an opportunity to adopt and, and have an open adoption. And some of you may know what that means, but an open adoption is where we can build a relationship with the birth mother, the birth father, or maybe both. And so we prayed and prayed and prayed for that, and God really placed that on our heart. And after about two years and 13 profiling opportunities where somebody hands... The, a book that shows pictures of Amy and I and, and Isley and the things that we love to 13 expected mothers and they pick from, you know, a yeah. stack of books. 
So on the 13th one, um, we were picked and, and uh, with a, a birth mother and a birth father that wanted an open adoption and, and we felt like we were smooth sailing, everything was great, the, the placement was a little rocky, but we've had Shiloh a year and, you know, we should have known that God uses our family as his number one driver to refining us. And so a year into the process, we're getting ready to finalize in court and have a, have a great, you know, big celebration. And we found out that there was some pressure from an outside family member to contest our adoption. And so that, you know, that was a tough moment, you know. And you start reverting back to the times where you feel like, what are you doing, God? And there were times I'd stand in the threshold of Shiloh's room and visualize the walls empty and his crib empty and picturing that moment where we're like, here, you know, having to give him back and having to fully trust that he's still God's, you know. Mm. And so, um, you know, our adoption nearly went from X amount, which we knew we could pay for, to having three court lawyers for six months and and you know lawyers are expensive, and I said this in the first service, if you're a lawyer, you can leave now. Um, <laughs> just kidding, stay. You guys can stay for a little lawyers. bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like God giving us only enough information to say yes to something, because I, I think, you know, if, if we had known our adoption was going to double in price, we would have said no, and our boy wouldn't have been ours. Mm. And so God just giving us enough information to say yes to something, and, um, you know, Shiloh, we finalized last month, and many of you guys came, a good handful of you came to court, and were there for us for that. Yeah, yeah and in the middle of that process, though, with Shiloh, like, it, uh, you had another dark moment, yeah. right? I mean, where you were really questioning God, are you going to come, are you going to come through? Yeah, um, the two pieces to this, I think, um, the first thing is, is you, you question, like, God, why are you doing this? And I can't tell you how many people in my life and, and people all over the world, some of which who have not been truly pursuing their, their relationship with Christ, came to me and said, that's all right, I cry a lot. Yeah. But they me say, too. yeah, it's, yeah. Good. it's good. But they said, your boy is the reason that I'm back on my knees in front of my Lord and Savior. Mm. And um, that's all that matters, right? And, and so... There were times, uh, one time specifically, you know, I'd get home from work and open the mail, and every, every week there was a new bill from one of our lawyers, and, um, you know, I opened one up, and it was about three times more than I expected it to be, and, you know, that sends me into a tailspin, because I'm a guy who likes to budget and know what I have and know what I have to work with, and um, so a lot of anxiety was in, you know, welling up in me, and that night, I was laying in bed, I couldn't sleep, and, um, my little girl, Isley, is also the worst sleeper on the face of the earth. And so uh, she's four and a half, and she, she came in around 2 a.m. and said, Dad, I, I come in my bed. I can't sleep. You lay with me. And so we're both laying there, and um, both awake, and I hear a voice that says, Jeff! And I can tell you there's no other man in my house. It was just me, my wife, and um, Isley and, and Shiloh. Um, and I knew I wasn't going crazy because Isley sits up and says, Dad, who said that? 
and I'm not, like, I've got a lot of charismatic friends in different churches. I'm not super charismatic, so I don't claim to hear the voice of God every day, um, except for, and if there's any of you out there, God bless you. Um, but, you know, I, God speaks to me through scripture and through community and friends. And, and um, But when Isaac said, Dad, who was that? I knew, you know, mm -hmm. I knew it was the voice of God. And it wasn't a a fearful voice. It was like, if I was to grab John and shake you because he's worrying about something, maybe his hair's not growing in, I'm, <laughs> I say, John, just relax. Right. And so uh, Isley eventually fell asleep. I did not. Um, that next morning, we're sitting at the kitchen table eating breakfast, and the doorbell rings. And we open it up, and there's somebody standing there that hands us an envelope. And this person was not a believer, but this person said, something told me last night I needed to come and give this to you. Mm. So we opened it up, and it was uh, basically the exact amount we needed to pay that specific lawyer bill, and that was God saying, Jeff, just relax. Mm. Wow. Wow. I mean, yeah. 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 I mean, that's a God moment, and those are God moments. And... Um, so, Jeff, I just want to acknowledge before everybody that, that you're someone who's walked through a season of, that has been really, really difficult, and yet you've clung to faith. And, we need, and when people are like that, we need to put them up in front of us and go, wow, that's possible to do. And thank you for the vulnerability that it takes to sit up here and to share some of these really difficult things with us. So I'm, I'm hoping you'll, you'll hang out for just a minute. Um, and close us in a word of prayer. Um, but what I would like to do is, is just leave this kind of message time with a little challenge for everybody. And I realize for me, I sit in the same seats that you guys do every week. I'm, I'm sitting there. Uh, and it's easy to leave here and go, wow, that was a nice sermon, or that was a nice talk, or, and then just move right on to lunch or whatever else I got to do. Um, but what I'm hoping is that maybe what we can do is push the pause button for a second and to say, God, is there an area in my life where you are calling me to take a deeper step of faith? One of my friends I was talking to after the last service said, you know what, John? I realized after hearing kind of that testimony, he said, you know what? I've been, I've been trying really, really hard with faith, but maybe what I really need most is just a surrender. And I would say that for a lot of us, maybe even in this room, maybe that's the message that we need to hear this morning is it's not about trying harder. It's not about being stronger. It's about admitting our weakness and surrendering to God so that we can experience his power and his goodness in our lives. Maybe that means you saying to Jesus for the first time in your life, Jesus, here is my life. He's the ultimate example of goodness. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what the Bible tells us. He's also the ultimate example of power in that he just didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. That's the beautiful message that we follow in Jesus. And that's the message that we're called to. Some of us need to let other people into our lives. We've been carrying something for a long time that we need to just let other people into. Say, this is a struggle that I'm going through right now, and I just am not able to deal with it on my own. 
let me tell you this and assure you this. You weren't meant to deal with everything on your own. We are not islands. That is why we need each other as a community, as a body. That's why we need each other. And for some of us, we just need, we, God has brought us through something, and we need to, we've never told anybody. Like Jeff has, has, has been bold to tell other people, maybe God's brought us through something, and, and we need to say to people, hey, God has done this. There's hope. So no matter where you are on that spectrum, I pray that you take a, maybe a pause this morning and think about what God is asking you to do. There'll be people down here at the end who are willing to pray with you. If that's a next step, Jeff, me, I'll be down here more than willing to pray with you. Um, turn into somebody that you came with, letting them into your world. Um, maybe even if it, you're one of those people who has had some God do something in your life, maybe you want to come down and pray with somebody. That is fantastic too. That, that's what this moment is for, to be a body together and to take a step forward together in faith. Because as we experience our weakness, then we can experience the power and the goodness of God. So Jeff, will you close us in a sure. word of prayer? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer over you guys that I... Um, stumbled across during my devotional time over the last couple of years. So I'm just going to read it word for word. I think it's powerful and um, hopefully it speaks to you guys and, and speaks to our Lord. So would you guys just uh, close your eyes and pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, your word is solace for the sad and a ballast for the bewildered, a firm rock for the freshly rocked, and bread from heaven for the hungry on earth. This isn't theory, the wisdom of sages, or just true and good theology. It's our reality and we praise you. You've made promises you alone can keep, and you do not lie. No God is as near or good, merciful or mighty as you, no matter the storm or season. Lord, give us courage to be bold in sharing your goodness in our lives, even when we don't feel it. God, let us be bold enough to encourage those to proclaim your goodness as they walk similar paths behind us. Uh, but God, most of all, draw us near to you so that we may desire nothing more than to glorify you in all things. We love you. Your Heavenly Father, in your name, amen.